title of the sermon today is Hope of the World. We've been talking about hope, and so we'll finish this series up today talking about hope. And uh, I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. I believe that Jesus uh, is not just uh, somebody who came you know, 2,000 years ago and died for our sins and it's left somewhere in a Bible story. Uh, I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world like right here in this moment. Are you with me? But I've also heard it said before that um, the body of Christ or the church, the local church, is the hope of the world. You say, well, what does that mean? It means that we're the body of Christ. The church makes up the body of Christ. We, being who we're called to be, is part of how we co-labor with God to be the hope of the world. Are you with me today? And so our function really matters. Like our place in him and our place in our community really matters to God. And so today when we talk about the hope of the world, we're going to talk about like our function and how God calls us as his followers to live. I had a very dramatic day off yesterday. Yesterday morning uh, was, of course, my day off, and I was already really in a bad mood to start the day. If I'm being honest with you, I was in a bad mood, and the reason I was in a bad mood is because, as you can tell, Cody and Sierra, their family, they're away uh, to do Christmas in Virginia. That's where they're from, but every time he leaves, he never asks me to fill in and lead worship, <laughs> and that really bothers me because our offices are right next to each other. I know he knows how good I can sing. I know he knows that. And so every time he leaves, he never chooses me. And so I was already in a bad mood because I knew that he was going to have the team lead today. And so uh, I I was in a bad mood. And so we all kind of got up about the same time. And and the kids kind of all got up about the same time. And they were downstairs in the basement. and, And Charlie comes upstairs and he's got, you know, if you ever hit yourself like hard, it's not really a cut, but it's kind of like a dent, but it is a cut. He's got that on the side of his head. And he's like, oh, he's telling Jess, like, oh, I, I hit my head. He ran and tried to dive onto the couch because he's all into football. So he's got a football with him everywhere. So he dives into the couch, but he overshoots the couch. He smacks his head on the side of the table. And so Jess is like, hey, you, uh, you need to put a washcloth on that. Like, just hold that, you know. But you look okay. Why don't we have breakfast? And about this time, I'm there. I'm like, yeah, don't worry. Hey, bud, I'm going to make breakfast. You know, why don't we all just hang out? I'm going to make everybody breakfast. We'll be good. And so we have an island in our kitchen and it has bar stools and that's where the kids like to eat their breakfast instead of the table. And so he gets up onto the bar stool and I'm getting ready to go get breakfast up. And all of a sudden you just hear, boom, he passed out off the bar stool onto the ground. Yeah. Now all of our family is awake for this. And you begin to see, the scripture tells us that the body of Christ is made up of many members and we all have different functions, Right. We all respond to things differently. How many know where I'm going with this? So this story, sorry, Charlie, that this became great sermon content, but (laughs) the Lord does deliver. But I got to observe how many of us found hope and answer and resolution by the way that different people responded. And so I hear this, boom. And my oldest, who I wasn't in the room when when, when this happened, my oldest yells, dad, mom, Charlie just passed out. And so I'm like, oh no. So Caroline, our oldest, her function of the body is to be Mrs. Freeze. She just froze, mom, dad, Charlie passed out. (laughs) And I've been around enough like passing out to know that usually when people come back in, they usually feel like they have to vomit right away. So Mrs. Freeze is like, and I'm like, hey, you need to run and get a garbage. And then I'm helping Charlie. And I look back at Caroline several seconds later, still. (laughs) function of the body, frozen. My like, 
poor youngest daughter, Callie, who's our party. She's so fun, doesn't miss anything. He falls over. I'm telling you with every part of her being, she thought she just saw her brother die. <laughs> she is screaming hysterically, shaking. I, I, I'm underselling how shook she was by this. Runs into the other room. True story of the morning. She was the bigger problem than the concussion. <laughs> Just so unbelievably shook, crying her eyes out. Okay, Mom shows up. We get to Charlie about the same time. Now I'm dad. I, he's laying on the ground. I get over to him and I start waking him up. He's like, ooh, trying to figure out why he's laying on the kitchen floor. <laughs> I'm like, hey, bud, you just passed out. You got to go sit on the couch. Jess is in mom mode, cuddle mode. Like, oh, my little baby boy who weighs like 90 pounds. She's like, <laughs> I'm like, what are you, you going to do? What's, what's your plan with this massive child you're trying to pick up like a baby? I'm also like, kind of want to see him throw up on her. Like, this, this might be, so we'll see how this, so... We get him over the couch. That's her function in the body is she just wants to cuddle everybody to safety. So you have the freezer, the crier, the freaker outer, and then the just like, if we just cuddle, it'll solve the rest of our problems. Now I'm the dad, right? I'm the dad. I'm like, oh, but hey, concussion. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just come sit over here on the couch and I'm going to just make you some bacon. That's, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to get over there, get to breakfast like I told you about. We'll make you some bacon because bacon solves everything. Amen. <laughs> but then you just say things without thinking it through. So I'm like, hey, bud, you sit here. I'm going to make some bacon. Uh, just don't fall asleep because you'll never wake back up. <laughs> okay, dad. <laughs> it's like no empathy from me. Like, hey, let's just solve the problem or whatever. And so I realized that's what's so awesome about the body of Christ. Like we're all different members, but we can be the hope of the world because there are some people that are going to come into your life and they're going to need a good crying fit. And you get to go in the other room and just cry your eyes out with them. How you know what I'm talking about? And some of you, and take this appropriately, people are going to come into your life, they're just going to need a good cuddle. They're going <laughs> to take it appropriately. I, I preface that. I don't need to show up on those church websites. Everybody else is. Compassion. Some people with empathy, like you, you, the body of Christ is like, hey, you can have hope. Come here. Let me hold you. We can get you through this. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And I don't know what the purpose of freezing is, but they'll figure it out in the body. <laughs> but then the other function is like, hey, you're going through a hard time in the community. Get to church. We're going to make you some bacon. <laughs> like, we're we're going to get through this. Are, are you understand what I'm talking about today? And so hope of the world is the body of Christ. It's us coming in and responding and, and having function and, and working together to, to be the light of the world. Amen. Um, we're celebrating Advent. Of course, many of you going through different um, just journeys and celebrate that in different ways. Maybe it's a devotional. Maybe it's a study you're doing with your whole family. But Advent means arrival. We're awaiting the arrival, the arrival. And, and one of the things we uh, awaited, where we're awaiting they're waiting for Christ to come, or as we're awaiting it this Christmas season, is what we've been talking about, hope, hope of the world. And when Jesus came, not only did he come as hope, but he really came as the way. I know Grogu says, this is the way, but Jesus was the first one to come and say, this is the way. I've come and showed up on the scene so that you can have hope and so that you can have confidence and so that you can have faith that I've shown you the way. Jesus talks, or the scripture talks about in John 10, how Jesus came to bring us life and bring it more abundantly. 
Like one passage of this is that Jesus came to show you the way to live. That's what Christmas is. And you should have hope that God came down, took on flesh and blood so that he might show us the way to live. And to find the way to live is, is to be a follower of Christ. And so that's what I want to talk about today is, is in the early days, if they were to talk about Christians or those that followed Jesus, they would call those people followers of the way. You can have hope today because we know the way. I'm grateful that we know the way, that Jesus has showed us the way. I brought an example with me today. And uh, really, this is made by National Geographic, but it should be made by some sort of historical organization. Because I'm taking it way back. This is called an atlas. For those of you, many of you in here have experience with these. Many of you almost lost marriages over these things. <laughs> this is an atlas. I realize that probably half of the room has never even held one of these before. But way back when, in psychotic times... <laughs> This is how you used to actually get around. Young people, I want you to imagine this. If you were going to a destination, let's say you were going to another state and you needed to know the way, guess what? You couldn't even go on the internet and look up the address. Where in the world did you even get locations of places? I know there was things called phone books. You couldn't Google a phone number. You had to take out a book that was like waist high. That's how big it was. <laughs> and shuffle through a phone book to get a phone number. But this is how people used to find their way. In a car, which cars were a lot less safe back then, some not even having power steering, they would be going down the road, 70 miles an hour, with a book about this size. So now you're driving and it's covering your entire body. That's how you found the way. Let me show you something else crazy about this to you young people. Watch this. Can you guys all see? You, did you see it over there? You, can't even zoom. Can't even zoom on that. You click, it doesn't do anything. You drove down the road in your car with this. My dad taught me how to use an atlas. We used to drive a lot, uh, and I'd go with my brother and my sister, and we'd take trips. And, and, and you would literally get this, and some people, you had different ways, but, but you would start here, which you can't, you can't even read. You can't even see what this is. But you say, oh, we live right here. And then you would take a highlighter. You would highlight it down, and you would go to your thing, and then you'd be like, that's how we get there. And then you would be driving, and this is what, and maybe we're not right, but this is what my brother and I and my sister would do. We would be driving, and we would want to know, like, from here to this cutover, how far are we? Are we getting close to there? Like, how far are we? And so we would come up with ways to tell you distance based on size of things. We'd be like, well, you're about a half a finger away from our next exit. <laughs> okay, okay. Makes good sense. Half a finger away. Or depending on the snack you had, it looks like we've got about three more combos. And then we'll take a, <laughs> we're going to take, take a change there. So this was insane, this huge book that you would drive around. This was how you tried to find the way. It made no sense. So then somebody was like, that's too big. We shouldn't have that. What we should do is we should make a foldable map for the glove box because that's going to be efficient when you're driving down the road. This is what you get to... Here's what we're going to do. And then after you say, okay, we found the way. Who's going to fold that back up? And somebody needs to before second service. This, this is the way. This is what you did right here. 
And I, and I know I'm going to like tell stories and have fun for a minute because Jesus told parables and then they made great spiritual sense. So you had maps and then, and then a crazy thing would happen on your maps. You would have a, a paper map or you'd have your atlas. And then this thing would happen that people thought were totally normal. Hey, we're lost. This didn't work. We have no idea where we are. I have a good idea. Let's just pull over in a town that we know nothing about and start talking to a stranger. Hey, got a question for you. Um, trying to get to here, can you tell us where to go? And that was super efficient because they would say things like this. Oh yeah, that's easy. Just go, just go down three lights. Then you're going to see a house with a red fence. Don't turn there. And then when you go down, you go about 300 yards more. You're going to see a house with a brown roof. That's where you turn right. It's like, okay, okay. And then, and you're going to go two more miles. You're going to see a pasture with two abandoned tractors in it. And then when you go there, don't go right, go left. And you're going to go over three hills. If you get to the fourth hill, you went too far. You're like, all right, thank you. Have a nice day. That's a window crank, by the way. Go have a good day. It's like, this works fine. This is very efficient. But then it got better. It did get better than that. Uh, we, we, we had the invention of GPS. Now, this still doesn't live in your phone yet, millennials. Okay, just imagine this. We got ourselves at TomTom. You remember TomTom? <laughs> Dang, we were rich. So TomToms, just so you know, kids, it didn't preload itself. You had to take about this 20-pound computer device and go plug it into your computer and download your route. But you were still fancy. And the crazy thing about this huge device wasn't a slick little screen. It didn't go on the screen in your car because that didn't exist. Not only did you have this big, heavy computer thing you had to plug in, it also sat on about a 40-pound sandbag. You remember that? So that it didn't fly off your dash. And guess what? Still flew off your dash <laughs> and became a weapon of mass destruction in your car. Tom Tom's going to tell us where to go. I got a Tom Tom. MapQuest was another one that I got about my brother, and we almost killed each other over him. We'd travel, go to concerts, and I'd be like, hey, man, we get to go another room. Hey, did you print the MapQuest? Well, I thought you printed the MapQuest. Or we'd be traveling and trying to read this MapQuest that you printed online. It's like insane. Think about this. Now, now it's just all in your phone, turn by turn. There's some people in here. Like, I hear young people all the time, like, man, I'm stressed. Man, I'm stressed. Dude, you've never drove anywhere without the ability to know exactly where you're going. Do you know that you've never gone to a restaurant and not known the menu? Some crazy people used to go to restaurants, wait in a waiting room. You didn't get to reserve a table on open table. You went in, sat in there, and you had no idea what you were about to even eat. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? You didn't know the menu. You went in there. CDs were the worst. You guys remember CDs? Think about this. You young punks, you get to listen to anything you want whenever you want. You weren't committed to your music purchases. We had to save money, go down to the store and buy a CD, and you didn't get to hear any of it yet. You just hope they got it right on that album. And after you broke about 14 nails trying to claw that thing open, you put that CD in and then you realize this album's trash and my $12 are gone. There is no Spotify and you just talk about, oh, I'm stressed. You have YouTube to do everything. I'm ranting, I know, but you have YouTube. It does everything for you. Yesterday, when when I was self when I was diagnosing my son, but but yesterday, I went on YouTube and I completely rebuilt and repaired a PlayStation 5 controller on YouTube. I'm a genius. <laughs> when my dad and I used to have to work on my car before YouTube. You'd have to go down to the mechanic store and buy a book about your model of car. And it was about this thing. It was so big, you could work on the car and sit on it as a bench while working on it. 
turn to every page. No, step-by-step YouTube. And you young people are talking, well, I'm stressed. Everything does everything for you. Okay, moving on. This is my point. This is my point. This frustration of like, I don't know where I'm going. I can't, this old archaic way of like, ah, I don't know the way. That's what in the Old Testament, the followers of God used to have to do. They were always wondering and guessing, what's the way? Is the Messiah here yet? Is he coming? We know that the prophecy of Jesus showing up on the scene, it didn't happen for 700 to 800 years after it was foretold. Think about how much they walked around without the exact specific perfect way. And Jesus shows up and says, hey guys, I'm the way. Follow me. You can have great hope and great understanding and great detail for your life because I am the way. Are you with me today? You're... John chapter 14, verse one, your Bible might say it at the top this way. It might say Jesus comforts his disciples, which is what? Hope. This is Jesus administrating some hope here. In John 14, one, it says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. I love Thomas. He's bold enough to say, hey, Lord, um, we don't know where you're going. He says, we don't know where you're going. He says, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and I'm life. He's again speaking to like this way that I'm showing you, that I'm, that I'm living out before you. It's the way and it's life and it's the more abundant life. Are you with me today? It says, and then he goes on to say, no one comes to the father except through me. Everything we see in Jesus' life is him modeling the way for us. Aren't you grateful for that today? Jesus is the way and it should give us hope. I wrote it down like this. The invitation from Jesus has always been and will always be, follow me. Follow me. Because what? He's the person who shows us the way. Think about this. Every disciple at one point was once called to follow me. Follow me. Why? Because again, Jesus is saying, I'm the way. This is the way. You can have hope at Christmas and at this time of the year. Why? Because Jesus has shown us the way. Now take sacrifice. We know that he said to the rich young ruler, he said, hey, go and sell everything you have. Everything that's standing in front of you following me, go get rid of all of that. And what does he tell him to do? Follow me. Following Jesus is different than being a fan of Jesus. It's a huge separation there. When Jesus called somebody to follow him, and I'll do this really quickly, but it's actually like a 30 minute teaching if I were to do it justice. But when Jesus called someone to follow him, that was actually mind blowing. Because if you were a young Jewish boy, you would have grown up with the desire to be a rabbi. Now, if you were to be chosen to be a rabbi, it would have been just the highest honor of all time. In order to be chosen as a rabbi and to carry their yoke, which means like their way, their thought, their interpretation of the Torah, you would have had to go through all of these segments of schooling. And it's a little bit like our educational system. There would have been, there would have been elementary, then there would have been middle school, like a high school. But it also worked a lot like athletics. If you were good enough to keep going once you got out of the elementary. And these were all named different things, Bet Telmud, Bet Sefer, there's all these different things. But if you were good enough and you had what it took, you could keep growing to the next level, the next level. By the time you got to the time where you were ready to sit under a rabbi 
and take on their yoke and, and, and deliver the Torah and, and, and teach the Torah the way that they've interpreted it, which would have been like the highest of the highest. It would have been beyond professional, beyond all-star. It would have been like hall of fame level. You've made it to all of this. You're now ready to sit. What they would have told you to do is like, okay, you've made it to that place. All of these different rabbis have said, hey, you've made it through all these stages. We think you have what it takes to carry this yoke, to do this thing. What you were instructed to do was to go sit at the feet of Jesus or your rabbi, go sit at the feet of your rabbi and he would look out to you. And if he thought you had what it took, he would look back to you and say, Harai, which means come follow me. Now what's mind blowing about that is one thing that happens is if the rabbi didn't think you had what it took, he'd say, nah, kid, why don't you go back to your family business? Which was like carpenter, fisherman, maybe sandal maker. So when Jesus is walking along the shore and he sees some older Jewish men who are out fishing and Jesus rolls up on them, the reason that they were fishing is probably because at one point in their life, they were told, nah, kid, you don't got it. And then here comes the Messiah and the scripture teaches us that he comes, rolls up to them and says, what? Come follow me. But the words they actually heard were, hey, you guys out there who've been rejected and looked over and outcast, he says, like Aharai, you're good enough to do this, which is an amazing testimony that Jesus messages. I don't care where you came from or what you've been through. You're good enough to do this with me. Are you with me today? Amazing, unbelievable thing there. What's also really cool is you remember when the two Marys were frustrated, well, uh, Mary, and they're going like, oh, you're not cleaning. You should be in here helping me. And the scripture says that one was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus goes, hey, don't be all upset about this. She's chosen a good thing. Interesting that Jesus would say that a woman desired to go into ministry. And Jesus goes, that's a good thing. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> so follow me. Like a heart, it's this mind, like come be a follower of me. You're good enough. It's unbelievable. But what Jesus wasn't saying was, Hey, I want to just draw crowds. He wasn't saying like, hey, why don't you just come admire me, appreciate me, draw inspiration from me. No, I need devoted followers. And unfortunately, in our culture, in the time that we're living in, we have Christians and celebrities and people out there going like, you know, I draw inspiration from the teachings of Jesus. And, and, and we're not committed to it. We're not followers of the lifestyle. We like to come to church and hear a few things, but we're not devoted followers. How I many you know what I'm talking about today? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciple, Whoever wants to be my disciple or follower, you must deny yourself and take up their cross and follow me. So Jesus is saying like, hey, do you want to be a follower? Do you, want to, do you want to follow the way? Do you want to follow as I'm the way? Do you want to follow the way? There's something that's required in doing this though. And it's a lifestyle of sacrifice. Can I get an amen today? Do you want to be a disciple? Do you want to be a follower? You must deny yourself and take up their cross. I wrote it down like this. Jesus did not come to accumulate fans. He came to enlist followers. And if we're going to be the body of Christ and we're going to co-labor with God to bring hope to the world, we don't need fans. We need followers of God. Are you with me today? A fan, something is just a part of your life. Oh yeah, I watch that every once in a while. I'm a fan of that. I see that here and there, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But a follower, a disciple, it is your life. Are you with me today? So when we say, I want to be a follower, I want to follow the way, it's every part of our life. We see that the scripture says that Jesus had thousands of people coming to see him. 
On a daily basis, there's all these people, crowds coming from this town, that town, all these people coming to follow him. And the scripture says that they would come with interest of what? What does he got? What does he got for me? What can Jesus offer me? What can he say? There was thousands of fans coming, but how many know in scripture we see that there were very few disciples, followers. Fans come in masses, but followers are a very few devoted. Are you with me today? Fans want to be close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not too close to where it requires sacrifice and commitment. If we want to be the hope of the world, we have to live this thing. If we want to co-labor with God to be the hope of the world, we have to be committed to this thing. It's like sports. If you were to hang out with me or we were to watch a game, we would use terminology like this about the Lions. Oh man, the Lions, man, we're gonna. We're gonna. I'm sitting at home on the couch. We're gonna, or I put on the gear and I wear all the stuff and I say, oh yeah, buddy, we just won. We just won. <laughs> I'm a fan of it, but how many you know I'm not there Monday morning in the ice bath? I'm not the one completely devoted in the eating regiments and the Tuesday weight room sessions. Those players live it. I'm just a fan of it. And Jesus is trying to draw a difference here in this when he's talking to his disciples. It's not like, oh, no, no, no. You can't just be the Christians who are interested in it and say, we're gonna, and we did this. And we, we need people that are gonna live it on a daily basis. How many are with me? That's why 1 John 2, 6 says this, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Sacrificial, putting God first. Are you with me? I wrote it down this way. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So I pulled three keys in just our next 10 minutes. I pulled three things from Jesus. I believe if he came to show us the way to live, how to have the best kind of life, how to be hope of the world and live the way he's called us to, I think there's three key things that we can look at from his life that are important. Point number one is this. One of the ways that he called us to live is the way of healthy pace. Jesus modeled this continually, the way of healthy pace. It's Christmas, and I don't know if you've noticed, but around Christmas, your schedule can get a little bit busy. What's weird about that is Jesus models the healthy pace for us. And right now, if I were to ask you, hey, how you doing? You would say something like this, busy, 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 busy. Oh man, we're so busy. We're just going like crazy. We're going, we're overwhelmed. We're overscheduled, we're overstressed, we're overcommitted, and we're overindulging. That's our pace, which is insane because Jesus' mission, Jesus, the Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, his mission was to save humanity in the duration of three years. And never once did you see Jesus go, busy, 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 I'm in a hurry, I gotta get out of here. You know, he didn't ruin a relationship. Do you know that he didn't misspeak? Do you know he didn't lose his cool and blow up on anybody? He had the mission of saving the world on him in a three-year duration, and somehow he kept a healthy pace. How did he do that? I can tell you one thing we see about Jesus in Scripture, just so you know this. Never, ever once, just to prove my point here, never, ever once in Scripture will you ever read a Scripture that says Jesus ran. He doesn't run. And you shouldn't be running either. It's in the Bible. 
Oh, and they were in the town, and then Jesus went for a run, and he was running. No, no, nowhere does he run. We do know that Scripture says that the enemy flees. He runs. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. It says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, boys, get ready to burn the candle on both ends. It's time to hashtag hustle. All these people are coming. We got to, I got three years. We got to get busy. We got, no, the very next passage says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Quiet places is what the scripture says. He was out to save humanity in a three-year duration. You think if anybody had the reason to say, I'm so busy, it would be him. And yet the scripture said he made it priority to go away and spend time with Father. Isn't it hilarious that we connect with one another? Like, hey man, I was going, busy, busy, busy. I got so much on my plate because I'm a contractor. Oh, busy, busy, busy. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a doctor, whatever you do. You're like, oh, I got the responsibility of running this. You weren't trying to save the world. And Jesus knew how to have proper pace. He's trying to show us a way when it comes to pace. Are you with me today? If you're too busy to pray or to worship or to spend time with the Father, then you're too busy. How's your prayer life? I wish I had more time for my prayer life. I wish I had time to get away and worship. I wish I had more time for... But you don't. You don't. So that means you're too busy. Am I telling the truth here today? This little beautiful Christmas sermon for you today. Here's why it matters. Because if you're missing out on those things, you're missing out on what you were fundamentally created to do. Spend time in the presence of God. There's no excuse for us to not be able to get away and spend time with the Father and go to Him in quiet places so that we can hear from Him. Are you with me? If Jesus demonstrated you can be highly effective and have healthy pace, how much should we be following that? That's why Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. Why is that so awkward for you? Somebody's like, I thought you were having a Mitch McConnell moment. (laughs) Why is it so awkward? Why is it so awkward? Silence. Why is the quiet so weird? You're not going to believe this. You think it's a joke, but I was working out this week and I realized (laughs) how much noise I had on. The device that I was using to work out had a trainer on it who was yelling things at me, but also had music on it. And then I... I'm very unhealthy when it comes to my Michigan Wolverine fandom. So on the TV in our gym, I also had the Michigan versus Ohio State game on again and again and again, (laughs) continuing to watch that. But I also had earbuds in. So I had noise coming from the TV, the thing, and in my thing. And if you ever hang out with me, I basically have noise going somewhere always often. Come to the house, we got the TV on with music, we got this going on with music. I'll get ready in the morning and or shower, whatever I'm doing, and I'll have either sermons going or music going or sports center going. Constantly have noise going. But yet Jesus saved the world, came and showed us the way, and yet something that was important to him was quiet, lonely places. It's the way. Are you with me today? So my encouragement to you this Christmas is to yes, have your phone. Have your phone Christmas morning. Take the pictures of the kids unwrapping presents 
and make it a big deal and make your social media post. Do that. Those memories are good. But then put the dang phone away and play with those presents. Are you with me? Spend some time. Make it a big deal. We are so busy and so distracted. It's time for us to enjoy the quiet places. Are you with me? Point number two, thing that Jesus modeled is one of the ways is the way of serving others. It is a foundation, a cornerstone of following God, being people who serve. Now listen, if anybody had the right to be served, it's Jesus when he shows up on earth. I mean, think about it. Like the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, ruler of heaven and earth, the Alpha Omega, beginning and the end. If he shows up on earth, he has the right to show up with fanfare. I mean, like a huge parade, like, oh, by the way, King of God is here. Throw me a parade. You guys remember the movie Aladdin? And, and, and he comes into town, he's trying to impress Jasmine. And it's like Prince Ali, right? That's how God could have showed up. Jesus could have shown up. Like Prince JC, fabulous he on the Messiah. See, that's why he doesn't let me sing. I know. That's why he doesn't. But you know, and I know you know. So, But he doesn't. As a matter of fact, he gets really irritated one time in a story when people think, that the kingdom is about like being on top and being the greatest and proving yourself. There's this mom, and this is what good moms do. This mom shows up to Jesus and is like, have you seen my sons? They're so amazing. They're like the best of them all. They're at the top. I think in your next kingdom, each of them, one should sit on your left hand, one should sit on your right hand in your next kingdom because they're so amazing. They're so above everybody else. And Jesus is like, I got to handle this. I need to let people know what my kingdom is about. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, or one translation says, came to give his life to all. That's the way. The way is not step on each other and corporate greed and climb the ladder and do more and get more. No, the corporate way is, hey, I've shown up to serve all. That's the way. We've said it this way many times. It's not about titles. It's about towels. Whose feet are we washing? Who are we serving? That's the way of hope. Our mindset should be, hey, it's not what's best for us, but it's best for those who are around us. What's best for those who are around us? I'll close with this. And my third and last point is the way of eternal thinking. This is huge. And it's just one quick point. But you can serve and you can try to do things in your church. But if we're not eternally minded, if we're not thinking of the big picture of heaven first, then we're missing it by a mile. We can get so concerned with the things of the world and the things of this time and the things of this hour, and we miss the things of heaven. John chapter 12 has this really weird passage that I'm going to try to explain to you, but it just gives us such an eternal mindset. John chapter 12, verse 23, again, this is Jesus. It says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Like if it lives for itself, it only accomplishes one thing for itself. Then it says this, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, this is one of those weird, like, what are you talking about, hate your life? God is not calling us to hate our life. He blesses us in this life. I just told you a minute ago that God's come to give us abundant life, and that means eternity, but it also means here on earth. But it says, but those who hate their life will keep it for eternal life. What it means is this, like, I hate it in comparison to the things that really matter, eternal life. It's like bank accounts are good and vacations are good, like, and having a nice house and all these things that I'm trying to achieve here on this earth, like that's, that's, that's good for here. But when I compare this stuff to getting people to heaven, to seeing people set free, I hate that stuff. That's nothing compared to this. And so the one that goes like, I don't live for this. I live for this. The scripture says that's the person who keeps and has eternal life. Verse 26 goes on. It says, whoever serves me must follow me. There's the follow again. And where I am, my servant will also be. So when we're these followers, when we do it his way, we'll end up where he is. And it says, my father will honor the one who serves me. It's eternal mindset. Our father will, will honor the one who serves who serves and gives, lives the way that God's called us to and is, is, is the hope of the world on display, the body of Christ. Those are the ones that are going to be with him. My last point is this. I love C.S. Lewis' quote here about the importance of being eternally minded. It says this, and you could boil the current state of our world down to this. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Every decision we make, every step we take, God, Jesus came, God came down, took on flesh and blood to show us the way and the way that we live is serve others, love others, follow him wholeheartedly and believe that the best is yet to come. Are you with me today? We have hope. Jesus is hope and Jesus has shown us the way. And that's good news today. Amen. Let me pray for you. About your heads, close your eyes. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for how you love us and lead us. Lord, we ask that you reveal these truths to us in a way that we can live them out. God, we don't want to just hear them and leave, but God, we want to be doers. We want to be those devoted followers, not just fans, but God, we want to be people who live this out. Help us be your hands and feet so that we can display hope to the world. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.